Rolling. Renegades. Andre and I had this big idea. Nurses know how to solve shit. Renegades. Welcome to the Renegade podcast, a revolutionary approach to continuing education for nurses by nurses who are shining a light on the innovators, the creatives, the renegades who are blowing up the boxes that the rest of the world is still trying to think outside of. On today's podcast, we have Cassie Choi, Princess Cassie Choi. I'm going to start referring to her just because it wasn't on her uh, bio and I just wanted to add the princess. Um, Cassie is co-founder at Pair Team and registered nurse with a unique blend of medical and business acumen, leadership, and a passion for healthcare innovation. Oh, and does she ever. Always trying to leave things better than she found them by way of clinical design, operational management, and product strategy in digital health. Now, if your eyes haven't gone crossed um, <laughs> because you're feeling insecure or you're like, what the heck does that mean? Basically, Cassie kept going from place to place going, I can do that better. I can do that better. I can do that better. And then that's why she ended up the pair team, because it's like the um, I can do that better uh, pinnacle of Cassie Troy. Right. Am I saying that about right? Yeah. And by the way, before we be- be- begin officially, uh, if you're a nurse and you're listening to this podcast, you can get a CE credit. Go over to rnegade.pro. That's R-N-E-G-A-D-E dot pro. And uh, follow the sign up shizzle. And if you have any problem, hit the chat box and we'll talk to you. Now, rolling. <laughs> I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to help people get continuing education credits while just talking about how to make healthcare better by way of nurses who right. really should be leading, leading the charge on it. Ooh, say more about that. You you know, I think that nurses, this is like truly my passion of mine. Of course, like the things that I'm doing at Pair Team and I've done in my career are of course like very, very important to me. That's what I live and breathe and do a hundred hours a week. So if it wasn't important to me, I wouldn't be doing it. But like the deep passion of mine is bringing nurses into innovation. I am impact driven. And what I've tried to, you know, look back on my career, which is, you know, we'll talk about it, but it's had all these weird twists and turns. And I thought it was very random, but when I think about what is driving me to do what I do, it's impact. You know, someone asked me, you know, if you were on your deathbed and you were to look back on your life, what metric would you use to define whether it was successful or not? And I very quickly just said impact. And I had never thought about it, but I knew that that was the answer for me. And when I was a bedside nurse, that impact was caring for, you know, two to three patients a day. Well, it depends on discharges, of course, but like the individual patients and their families that I could care for on an individual basis. And then when I moved to the startup world, it was being a part of building something innovative that could have an impact on the world. And then moving to creating something that I believe will have a greater impact and building the team that will do that has an even greater impact um, than the thing I had done before. And now to me, the next scalable thing for having impact on the world is helping nurses understand their potential to create impact in the world and change our very flawed healthcare system. And it doesn't have to be the way that I think 
the impact needs to be, but helping nurses understand that the things that make us good nurses can be the exact things that create change. So we are great at assessment and intervention and care planning and communication and relationship building. All of those things are synonyms for the um, you know, skill sets of entrepreneurs. And you don't have to be an entrepreneur. You don't have to start a startup, but you can be involved in the innovation of healthcare by advising startups, by working for them, and just being a part of the movement to change the, the environment that you're a part of that I'm sure you're very frustrated by. I think that we need to change the idea that the only people who have the information or skill sets to be a part of startups or these big institutions are doctors. That's not true at all. We have so many skill sets and clinical backgrounds and the operations to really influence that change. Why are you so passionate? When did that start? Were you born that way? When I was little, I wanted to be a social worker because I watched Law and Order with my mom and I was like, it's not the lawyers. I mean, sure, lawyers make a big difference, but it was like the social workers I saw who were like the ones doing the work that was helping the people, like the characters. And then I was asked to leave my junior, my Catholic junior high school because I was the only person, this was when like gay marriage was, uh, a new topic. And I was asked to leave my school because I was the only one advocating for uh, gay rights. And I had changed my entire class's opinion about it. And the parents were mad that they were going home and asking questions about it. Um, I'm not afraid to speak my mind and make my own opinions about things. And when I became a nurse, I looked around and said, you know, healthcare is a fundamental right. And you can't have all of the other rights afforded to you if you don't have the health to be able to access them. And if I'm going to be a nurse and a part of the system to deliver healthcare to people, then we need to change the system that I'm a part of. So yeah, I guess I've always been very passionate and outspoken and I'm not just going to complain. I want to like roll up my sleeves and, and do something about it. Can't you just see Anja? Cassie on the playground and she was like in second grade on top of a bench or something preaching to the kids like we're gonna change things around here can't you just see it like that was you wasn't it yeah totally (laughs) I I was gonna say I bet you've been like this since you were little yes yeah I would work night shift in college in the emergency room because, well, I always found the night shift to be more interesting, but I liked the night shift because after about like two 30 in the morning, there was kind of this lull Mm -hmm. and I would reorganize the supply carts that they had parity in each bay because it drove me crazy that nurses had to stop their conversations with patients to make sure that they were grabbing the supplies in the right bins, make sure that they were grabbing saline and not D5. And you know, the right, like drip lines and band-aids and which tape. Right. And I was like, we shouldn't be doing this. This is like a straightforward solution. Just make them all the same. And so that way, whenever you reach, you know what you're reaching for and you can keep having a conversation with your patient. And when there's an emergency, like that's even more important. So like, I just started doing it at nighttime. Like I clean the bins, reorganize them. And then I went to the guys who worked in supply, reorganize them. Like, 
okay, like every time you reorganize it, just like, or like resupply them, like make sure it's the same every time. And then my manager came in one morning. He's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, reorganizing this. He's like, why? And I explained it to him. I'm like, why did no one else do this? How come no one else is working on this? He's like, you know that this is like lean six sigma stuff, right? I'm like, I don't care what it's called. It's just like obvious. Like people go get certified and there's like McKinsey consultants, whatever. I'm like, well, I don't know why you have to spend money to learn. This. It's just like, duh. Seriously. I did the exact same thing in the operating room and all the, you know, cabinets. I'd go in there and I'd, hey, it doesn't make sense that this is here or that's there. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Like you didn't have to learn this lean. <laughs> you already knew it. Yeah. Especially yeah. If you, yeah. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever had like a surrender moment? Like a, I call mine the puddle of snot and tears moment where the way I'd been living my life that I didn't even see it was like white noise and it was like stressing me out, making me crazy, like really making me ill. I didn't even see it because that's just what it felt like to be Karen. And then bam, something happened. And I was like, the white noise came down to a loud roar and everything changed. Have you ever had one of those? I don't know. I think it's for me, it's been more of a journey of learning, right? Like I've had these like crashing moments of like, I can't do this anymore. Something has to change. And then crashing moment, something has to change. And like each incremental change has taught me about something else about the situation that I need to be in. I was working in New York city at what I was labeled as a top hospital and what should have been like a dream job out of college. And I finished the residency program and I was seeing all these things that I just didn't agree with. You know, we didn't have heparin needles for my LVAD patients. I would trade my lunch for bed sheets with the linen department because they, you know, or nurses would hide them in places and like would run to get linens and they'd hide them. And so I'd have to like barter to get their sheets. And I saw like questionable billing practices, inequitable education and discharge practices that resulted in poor outcomes. And I just went into a night shift one day and I was like, I quit. And I came home from that morning shift with a big smile on my face. And I told my boyfriend, who's now my husband, I said, I quit my job last night. He said, what do you mean? Like, what are you going to do? And I was like, I'm going to go be a nurse in Costa Rica on the beach. He's like, that's not feasible. You don't even speak Spanish. And I was like, I've had it with the American healthcare system. He's like, you've been a nurse for 13 months. You cannot, like, you can't give up that easily. And I was like, I, the system's too big. It's just too fucked up. Like, I don't, I'm just going to go somewhere where like, I can be a visitor and be on the beach and just take care of people who like scrape their knee on vacation. He's like, well, you don't speak Spanish. So that's not going to work. How about we go to California and it's warm You'll still there. still need to learn and- Spanish. <laughs> yes. He's like, it's warm there. Try again. And so I use travel nursing as a way to try to find a hospital system and 
like community that aligned more with my healthcare values. So I went to Kaiser first because it's like you read about, you know, Kaiser this and Kaiser that and clinical outcomes. And I embedded myself. I didn't think of myself as a traveler. I just didn't want to sign into like a pension plan and a career growth ladder without first understanding what am I signing up for. And I stayed for a year. I worked with Kaiser's Innovation Committee. I would meet with the CNO every month to be like, we need to work on this and that and whatever. And I really wanted to understand like, how did they think about their healthcare system? I felt like some things were good, but other things weren't good. But did you just walk into the CNO and say, hi, I'm Cassie. I want to be on your innovation team or I want to create your innovation team. You need an innovation team. (laughs) Well, Kaiser has an innovations team out of, out of, I think it's Sacramento, but they needed someone to be their liaison at the Muro site in Redwood city. And I was always teaching people like helping them with their Epic instance and like troubleshooting for them. Like the manager couldn't figure out how to do certain things. And so I was always helping her and So when they were talking about rolling out a new, like the innovation committee was coming and saying, we want to test this product at the site. The manager was like, Cassie is usually the person I go to. And so I started to be like the lead on product implementation testing. And because it was a test for the product at one location before they decide whether to roll it out across all of Kaiser, I worked with the CNO. Well, I could like, I had an ear with the CNO about how it was going and I would use that ear to talk about everything else that was going on that I saw. But I also had a lot of access to other things that I saw about they were very rapid. Like I had rapid learning about what I thought about Kaiser as an institution um, and the way they thought about things. It's not just like how the manager does scheduling or, break schedules and the way that nurses usually think about whether they like their job or not. I was really thinking about it more of like, how does this hospital system think about healthcare access for their community? And what role does, do I play as, as a nurse? Um, and what role do I put, can I play in terms of like improving the things that I feel like there's opportunity to improve, but I grew up in New Hampshire Um, I am half Chinese, half white. I look very different than the people in my community. So I was othered very much. And so I think about inequity, I guess, very differently, but no one talked to me about that. Like it was never like, like my husband was raised in a house of like activists and going to marches and rallies and things like that. It was never like, no one talked to me about that. It's just I think I observed a lot of things and said, that doesn't feel right. Like, I don't agree with that. And when I would speak out, no one would say, don't say that. Well, sometimes people would say that, but I'd be like, I'm going to say it anyway. But I think the more I saw in the world, it just reinforced in me that if you have privilege that my dad worked so hard to provide to me an education, you know, access to education, access to healthcare, to then use that to help people who don't have that, that to not just ignore that privilege. I, I don't forget that um, at all. Like my mom didn't get to go to high, like my mom went, graduated high school, didn't get to go to college. So I think that shaped me a lot in that 
you have to work very hard to have access to the things that you have and to help others provide that access. And if we all think that way, if we were a community of people that, you know, reflected on our privilege and gave back to each other, imagine what our, what our community and country would look like. It would be a lot more equal. Um, and we'd be paying a lot more attention about a shared purpose of moving our society forward instead of, you know, division. I know that that's very <laughs> lofty. How did, how did this show up for you though in, in healthcare? I mean, no, that was, that's what I wanted to know is kind of how, how you, you, you came to this, but also you mentioned that it showed up for you while you were a new nurse that then actually every, everywhere, yeah. even in the supply drawers. <laughs> well, when you're caring for people, I didn't see them as just someone in a room. I never call them like room number, whatever needs water. It was, you know, Mrs. Smith needs water. You know, like they were always people to me who came with a lot of like history. They came with a lot of experiences that led them to the place where they were at and how you cared for them depended on those experiences. And so it personalized a lot of the things that I saw when things didn't go right someone who didn't get a taxi voucher to go home knowing the fact that their kids didn't have someone to take them off the bus every night because I sat to have a conversation like I stayed in their room to do my documentation and just chit-chatted with them and learned that their kids had no one to get them off the bus every night the fact that they didn't have a taxi voucher to get home that day and their discharge was delayed meant something to me so i think issues like staffing ratios and you know nurses becoming like a lot of nurses becoming travelers and not knowing their communities that they're in, you know, things like that have more of a, a deeper meaning to me than what it could look like at a, at a surface level. It's impact to like real people and um, real issues. So you took that to, from new nurse and rearranging supply drawers and all that and telling, throwing your hands in the air and going, I'm going to Costa Rica, the self-care system, crap. Then you went to California, worked for Kaiser, got into the CNO's ear, did the innovation thing and plus plus, and then what happened? So we went, we, we just wanted to stick a pin in there and get a little more substance behind you and what makes you tick. And now we can stick that, take the pin out. Yeah. Well, Fast forward, UCSF cut their community health nursing program. And as you can imagine, that was just like the final straw that broke the camel's back on the healthcare system blows. It just blows. I, for me, I quit and said, I cannot be a cog in the wheel. I don't want to lie to patients anymore. I can't, I just don't want to do it. So I quit. And that was a time where I was like, I don't even have a plan to go to Costa Rica. I just quit. I think that was another moment where you're like, I just succumb. Like, I don't, I don't know what's next for me. Maybe I'll go work in a grocery store or I'll go into marketing. Like, I just, I don't know, but I can't be a nurse in this system. And I'm not even motivated anymore to be a part of the change because I don't even know where to start. It's just so big. And then I got a message on LinkedIn. 
And this is why I tell nurses all the time when I meet them in the hospital, make sure you have a LinkedIn. Put all of your skills on LinkedIn. Like literally this recruiter found me because I put phlebotomy as a skill. I, nurses do lots of things besides phlebotomy, but I just literally put under skills that were like, some people are putting like strategy and like <laughs> sequel and whatever. Like I put phlebotomy and she found me and she messaged me and said, like, I can't tell you who I work for. We're in stealth mode and I can't really tell you what we're doing, but we need someone to draw blood for this pilot that we're doing. Would you be interested in having coffee? And I was like, well, sure. I actually have to buy groceries this week. So I'm down. And um, I, of course, couldn't help myself but soapbox about how mad I was about the healthcare system. And so she introduced me to their founder, who um, was the founder of what would become Forward. And they weren't Forward at the time. They were still in stealth mode. Um, Most of the team was engineering and product at the time. Aside from the medical director, I was the first clinical hire. I decided I ended up coming on full-time, not just to draw blood, but I built out their clinical operations playbooks, worked with the product team to build out, you know, workflows that would power the remote care team. And so if you don't know what forward is, it's a tech enabled primary care clinic, um, on a membership model. So you can go as much as you want to. And it was built by, you know, folks out of like sidewalk labs at Google. So really thinking about how could you design your own health and use tech enabled remote care teams to really engage people in care and create a high touch concierge experience. And so for me coming from critical care, like inpatient medicine, like I had to learn primary care and, you know, learn the product side of this and work with some really great, smart people. And I felt like this is really cool. Like if I have an idea or I think something's wrong, like we do it in five minutes and it's different. And we try something one day and we try a different thing the next day. And you like really get to see your ideas come to life. Yeah. It was really, really cool. And then, um, so we worked together, we launched the first clinic in San Francisco. I was a part of like designing the space, even down to like, which way does the door open? So that way the doctor doesn't like walk in on you changing. Like how many times has that happened to you? Right. We thought about all of those details. I sourced all of the, we don't have gowns forward. It's Lululemon outfits. Like I sourced all of those, um, the vendors that we worked with for the labs in-house, like all of those things I had to learn how to do. And so an environment of like rapid learning of things that I had never done before as a bedside nurse, but like reflecting back, there are things that nurses do all the time. Like you just figure out how to do it um, on the fly. And it was really cool. It's really cool. Isn't that, that's so, I'm, I bet Andre's about to say the same thing, but we love to innovate. We love to adapt. It's like in our DNA as nurses. And, but so often we're pushed against, you know, no, you can't do that. We've already done this way. Like change is like pushing a boulder uphill through char. It's a cog in the wheel. It's just whatever. So how cool would it be? I was just thinking about it. That would be like, wouldn't it be like a, just like a playground to just like a MacGyver playground just to be able to, let's try this. Oh, that doesn't work. Let's try this. Oh, that doesn't work. Let's try that. Oh, that works. I mean, how fun would that be? And the impact too, right? Just the doors so that you're not opening a door 
on a patient who's getting changed. And because nurses get that, right, that's impact right mm-hmm. there. I mean, something so simple, right? Yeah. Seemingly so simple. Yeah. But like, is it necessary? Maybe not. But like the door yes. opening, like <laughs> that creates a really great experience. And like how many nurses know that all the time? Like we, we know to like knock, can I come in? Doc- no offense to doctors, but like they just barge in all the time. And like, we, so I thought about like working with the architects, like which way should the door open so that you can knock and open the door and say, can I come in? But it's not actually exposing anybody if you shouldn't come in yet. Right. So that was, that was a really cool experience and working with engineers too, right? Like side by side with them. Um, I learned how to debug the JavaScript console and, um, I taught, so my, my now co-founder was one of the first engineers there. So he taught me how to code. I taught him how to drop blood. I only let him do it on an orange, <laughs> but like we shared a lot of like experiences to contextualize you code on what an we were building. No, I, <laughs> oh, I, we were side by side doing stuff. Cause like something would break in the platform, like in the middle of the clinic. And in order to get them to fix the bug faster, I had to like learn where it was in the code to send them the specific line to be like, here's where it is. So that they mm. didn't have to go searching for it. And that way I could say, here's the steps to reproduce it. Here's the line. This is what I need fixed. And so it saved them a bunch of the time to fix it. So that way I could get unblocked that much faster. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. Did that, did that just feel like a, you just, you kind of like, it just feels empowering. That must have felt empowering to like to go from feeling like a cog in the wheel. You don't know how many nurses we talk to who are like spitting themselves out of the system for that very reason. Because it's so hard to affect change inside the system. Yeah. And you can't bring your whole self somewhere. I mean, like that's what we talked about with this, uh, the African nurse. That's actually the name. Isn't that the name of his radio show that African nurse, but they're having the same issues in Africa, but worse, at least according to him. But I don't know. It seems pretty, pretty equal. But uh, from that podcast with him, we all kind of got that the reason we're getting burnt out and don't like it so much is because you're not able to bring your whole self. You have to leave so much of yourself behind, including your integrity, (laughs) you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the environment that you're talking about, you can bring your creativity, your integrity, your your willingness to fail, you know, yep. to do it better. Um, but also our skill sets that we, you know, spent our time and money going to school to learn. And then all of those experiences that we've gained at the bedside through lots of blood, sweat, and tears, right. To build something that can help people. That thing that I was just telling you about of like, here's the steps to reproduce the error. Here's where it is. This is what I want to happen. That's an S bar. Yeah. It's just like an S bar for an engineer in a product. Yeah. That's so cool. Talk to, for the folks at home, talk about S bar. What is it? Situation, background assessment, and then what's the R the recommendation or request, right? So it's just, it's like the handoff. It's a handoff yeah. report to someone else. So like, it's, it's literally like, here's the, the S bar for an engineer, but instead of just, and the difference between an S bar in 
what used to happen was there's a bug, something broke. And instead by teaching me, it could be like a lot more refined, like teaching me how to do that. It could be more refined and therefore more effective to create a more effective handoff process. Um, and then they could fix it faster and then I could move on my way. It's in to like correlate it back to healthcare. It's like how much help you get from a doctor when you need orders depends on how much context you give them, like how effective your context setting is to get what you need out of them. Yes, it is. That's true. <laughs> and many times if you're not succinct and to the point, yeah, SVAR or <laughs> whatever it is, you're not going to get it. Yeah, whatever it is, you're not going to get it. <laughs> yeah. So you cut your teeth at forward and learned how to be more of you, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. I mean, in an environment that let you be more fully you and bring your skill set and your passion and your whatever it was that made you you since you were on the playground right. advocating for gay rights. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then what happened? What happened next? So I think, you know, forward is incredible in that they're rethinking the experience that people can have in healthcare for a certain po population of America, right? People who can afford that membership fee, the people who have enough health literacy to understand what sort of access they're gaining with that membership fee are on the other side of the digital divide to have the technology to be accessing those care teams and, you know, telemedicine, right? Um, who appreciate that sort of concierge model and the Lululemon and all those things. Like it is really good for some people who you know, want that sort of engaging care. But for me, I've always thought about how do you empower the people who don't even have like basic access to the fundamental right of healthcare. And I felt like the more I was at forward seeing who we were finally able to provide access to, I realized these were folks who were leaving one concierge doctor to come to another one or one medical to come to us. And I they were folks like me who had a primary care doctor and just wanted to be able to text in the middle of the night, which is good, but are we solving real healthcare problems that exist in the world? If we're going to spend tons of money on healthcare, are we getting better results? So, you know, I had lots of conversations with leadership. The mission was to use technology to serve a billion people. and. I, I think I was just really anxious about being like, how do we do it now, right? Like, I want to use what we're building because I see how valuable it can be. I want to bring that to the people who need that now. So I felt like forward wasn't the place for me. I went into some consulting and helped other really great technologists understand how to like operationalize their product who never worked in healthcare you know, understand how care teams would use their products to predict chronic disease about, you know, five to 10 years before diagnosis, just by asking like social questions. Um, that was really a really cool 
project to work on to start to get into like a lot more AI. And then another consulting project that I was working on um, around, you know, reorganizing a business model of like the doctor that comes to your living room. It wasn't profitable because there's so much traffic in San Francisco that on a fee-for-service model, you can't only do six visits a day documenting in an Uber. What could that look like in a more profitable model? I ended up joining them full-time on their leadership team in operations and again, built you know a less concierge, but like a fee-for-service model uh, you know, really nice clinic in downtown San Francisco with a tech-enabled care team to coordinate your post-visit care coordination and scheduling. And then we had a, you know, corporate arm where instead of going to people's living rooms, we go to a conference room for corporations and do on-site primary care um, throughout the day, a lot more sustainable, less travel. Um, and once we reached profitability, you know, I was again, reflecting that this is really good, like helping young people 20 to 45, those people tend to not access primary care as much. They go when they're sick. They go when they need like an STD test. They'd go maybe if they're, if they care about their flu shot, but are we really moving the needle on, on access? And I felt like, no. So that's when we moved to starting peer team. And had to take the leap on becoming a founder. So it's like closer, no cigar, closer, no cigar, closer, no cigar. Yeah. And then you just are like, okay, yes, screw it. I'm, I'm doing my own thing. So you could take all the best, take the best and leave the rest behind, right? Like everything you wanted to do for who you wanted to do it for. And so you created Pear Team. Exactly took all the learnings of what worked well from the startups I had worked at, like learned how to, like I learned how to build certain things and learned how it like engaged people in care. And I wanted to take those learnings and apply it to a different population. And so what pair team is, is a tech enabled care team of care navigators, care coordinators, nurse practitioners. We're now expanding into social work and behavioral health. They run on, you know, our own internal team, like a uh, platform of automated workflows and outreach and AI. But we extend the care and access of community health centers that serve low-income and Medicaid patient populations. And so instead of building our own clinic, like I had done twice before, we didn't need to build our own clinic. There are clinics across the country, almost 1,400 FQHCs and lookalike clinic sites that serve these patient populations who've already worked so hard to build the trust of these these communities. They need help. And tech-enabled care teams can provide that help to engage them and extend access and you know more visits to them and they need help managing their data and documentation all these things that you know more hands tech enabled hands and technology can really help them with and so that's what we do and now we're moving into models of engaging 
higher risk populations within the communities that they serve, including homeless and severe mental illness and those um, you know, using substances. And what that looks like is working with community health workers and setting up substance or uh, satellite clinics uh, for telemedicine visits in homeless shelters. So really taking what we, my co-founders, like I said, from, from forward um, as an engineer, really taking those learnings and iterating on them to understand what are the needs of the population that really drive drive us to work so hard um, to, to move the needle on healthcare challenges that we, we want to solve, which is there's a big problem with access for this population. And access includes solving social issues, including transportation and housing and food. And there's so many things that are bundled into clinical outcomes. And so there's a lot to unpack when you talk about like what is Paratine's product and service offering. If I'm if I'm a nurse working for Paratine and I'm a navigator, what does that look like? Well, so one a day in a care navigator's life looks like anything from calling a patient to you know engage them in care to get them scheduled for an annual wellness exam or a well child visit to coordinating transportation for their mammogram or calling to get their mammogram scheduled for them because they're working all day and they can't take time to get that mammogram scheduled for them or applying for housing or enrolling in SNAP benefits. It may be, you know, calling to check in on them after they had a visit to see if they need any follow-up care, making sure they got their refills delivered, you know, really supporting with care coordination it looks very different for this population than it does for forwards population. And this is in conjunction with their primary care. Yeah. So we are effectively their primary care provider. So, you know, patients in the community, I don't even want to say patients because some of them are, don't need clinical care. They're just people in the community who happen to have a relationship with their community health center they don't know pair team. We don't introduce ourselves as, hey, this is Cassie. I'm a nurse with pair team. It's, hey, I'm Cassie. I'm calling from Mission Community Health Center. I want to check in on you. How are you doing? Do you need anything? You know, like it's very different. We're building on and improving the trust and access of their local health center. They don't need to know about pair team. Pair team is a partner of the clinic. And so the staff know about pair team. They know how to get in touch with us. They know what we're doing. They know what they're doing. Our goal is to move the work that they've been traditionally burdened by. If anything that can be done offsite, we should be doing. So they can focus on the things that should be done onsite, like face-to-face relationship building. You know, those are things that we have a harder time doing, but we can help take off all the things that have made it really hard for them to do the stuff in person. They're back to back on the phone. So therefore the person checking in with them in front of them standing around waiting. Like if we're answering the phone for them instead, that frees them up to say hello. I love this. Why is it called pair team? Oh, a saga. We've changed our name three times. A saga. This is something you learn as an entrepreneur. Like, I don't think no one tells you this, but when you 
pick your name, you should first Google it to see if someone else has this name. Then you got to check on like the trademark, like the, the government trademark site to see if someone's trademarked it, but they're not using it. And then you should see if there's like, like someone else has the Instagram handle, like all the things. So our first name was ARC Care, like the arc of like connecting patients and providers with high touch care. And then there's, there was a ton of me. So we, we, um, incorporated under that. There was a ton of art cares, like physical therapists and like doctor's offices. So we had to change our name. So we deviate ourselves as sling health, like a sling pass, like we pass things back and forth between the clinic. And then there was a healthcare accelerator program at like Harvard called sling health. And so we had to change our name. And so we went through this long brainstorming process over like four months of like, what would our name be? <laughs> We thought of like all sorts of things. And then we were like, apple is just literally a fruit. So we started down this, like we had gone through like all these different like pathways of like inspirations. And like, we got to this like fruit and we were like thinking of all these like weird fruits. And I happened to see a towel in my kitchen that had pears on it. And I was like, what about pear health? And then we saw a meme that was like, you're not a healthcare company unless you have health in your name. And I was like, all right, not health, pair team. And then we were like, I don't like the fruit thing. And then we were like, pair, like a partner. Like we pair together. Yay! So obvious. (laughs) Like, oh my God. That's so awesome. So awesome. It was a long story, but like it makes sense once you get there. No, it's, you know what? I love those stories. I love the, I mean, I I can't even remember what, are, are we, we, our renegade changed so many times. I remember the day that you go, everyone's going back and forth and I was playing with letters. Like I was playing with outlaw, pioneer, renegade. What was the other word for renegade? Um, and I was going to rebel. Um, <laughs> something like that. Our renegade is like, you nailed it, right? Like once you once it lands, you're like, I can't picture us being anything else. That's, that's the feeling. It's like, it's like cracking. It's like putting your ear to a safe and you hear the tumblers go. Yeah, you've inspired me. I want to learn. I've been really inspired to learn to code lately. I have to learn how to v- edit video, <laughs> edit podcast first. Well, I, I can't, I, I, to be fair and transparent, I took a coding class in high school, but it's visual basic, which is like the, one well, like a super old language, which I actually think epic is still built on <laughs> hilarious um or there like I had heard that epic is still built on visual basic and I was like I took that forever ago and it's like super archaic even then and when debugging the javascript console is like pulling up your web browser and like reading through a bunch of things it's like I don't like recode all this stuff but what's been really interesting is like spending time with the product team and engineers and understanding how code is written, like that coding class in Visual Basic helped understand like if then statements, you know, how code is written and like data models. And then it helps translate clinical stuff into data models and how to think about what we can, we, we can and can't build, right? Clinical, people like to like say like, oh, we can do AI to diagnose people because it's just a decision tree. Well, like, yeah, kind of, but like, we all know that sometimes it's not that straightforward. And if it wasn't straightforward, medical errors wouldn't happen. Right. Like, right. It's not that straightforward. And so 
it's helpful to keep learning how technology happens, even if I don't know how to actually code languages. Um, so I encourage nurses to just dip your toes in um, so you can be a part of those conversations and like lend your clinical knowledge in a, in a way that can be contextualized by uh, technologists. I just, this is sort of a little off the cuff from that, but um, I'm just curious about data collection for pair team and oh. what that's doing for outcome and impact. Yeah. So a lot of the work that we do is about driving clinical outcomes and quality. So we capture, you know, care gap closure, um, like everything from care gap closure in terms of like A1C um, will close this qual like care gap to, you know, depression screening equals this care gap closure. Like care gap closure requires a lot of data collection to understand what care gaps are closed, right? We also capture a lot of data when we do, you know, health risk assessments and social determinant screening. And when we engage patients, we have to collect a lot of data like they answered, they didn't answer, this phone number is no longer in service, and this person is now a point of contact, and their relationship is aunt, and this aunt's name is this. And we also capture like declined appointment reasons because this person moved out of state. You know what I mean? Like there's a lot of data being collected and we use it in a lot of different ways. It's really interesting. What do you see as a future of pair team? Like do you ever, do you look down the road since you're so um, technology forward and you know, you you've kind of been ahead of the curve from, from forward <laughs> when you worked at forward to what you're doing now what do you see coming with meta and, you know, the metaverse and that kind of thing? Are you, are you looking into that? Like Ugh, meta, you know, well, I know, but everyone's talking about it. I, you know, I've wondered, like, I know, blech, but are we going to be able to, with all the Bluetooth technology to monitor patients and to look at blood, you know, all of the innovations and stuff like that? Are you going to be able to visit a doctor virtually, but not like this, like go into a virtual room and actually get a decent assessment? I think it's really interesting because let's talk about access to care for people who don't have access to care. You know, I just think, think it's we'll interesting. Consistently make improvements to technology, right? Telemedicine and, you know, all these amazing things. But if we don't make fundamental changes to our society about who gets access to what and the regulations behind those things, there will be people who do not have access to telemedicine, even if we fund telemedicine, because that's at risk right now, right? Even though it's created a lot of access to healthcare, if we don't fund it, if we, even if we fund it, right, there will be people who don't have access to it because they're homeless and they don't have access to devices because of the digital divide. Why do they, why are they homeless? Because there's significant housing shortages, right? There's redlining. There's so many infrastructural things that kind of are separate from healthcare, but they are so intertwined with healthcare. So as much as pair team can work to provide access to people and help with, you know, engagement and all of these things, 
it has to be in conjunction with a huge overhaul with the way that we think about equality in a, in a much larger sense. And the only thing that I can speak to with Meta is that Meta's algorithm, Facebook's algorithm, Instagram's algorithm, Google, YouTube's algorithm is made to keep you engaged with your screen for as long as possible so that they make money. Doctors should be incentivized by clinical outcomes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By And the way that we do that is by moving clinicians and clinics and organizations into risk-bearing contracts so that it's not sitting with health plans, right? It's sitting with the people who make the decisions and are closest to the clinical context of the human being that has, that bears, you know, the opportunity of the financial arrangement, right? Technology should be used to create algorithms that can engage people in their healthcare. So what can we learn from these huge corporations that have like gamed the system? Like they've kind of done it poorly with negative whatever. But like, if you just sit back, can we use technology to like engage people, find people who are more engageable in their care and track people down and build models of what people look like and when to ping them and when not to ping them and how do they prefer to be engaged. That's what I think technology can be used for. But in my opinion, there's never a world where healthcare exists without humans. Pair team will always be tech-enabled people. Yeah. Well, it's people. We, we were talking about this yesterday. Everybody's trying so hard to change healthcare from the outside. Oh, pointing that's bad. That's bad. The system has to change, whatever. I believe personally that you only put up with what you think you deserve. And so I want to start asking the questions. Yes, there's a housing shortage, but what is it about our society that has told those people that aren't looking for better than themselves, who are turning to substances, who are whatever, what has told them that they're worthless? Why do they think that they deserve that? I've found that for myself in my life, and I see it everywhere. I see it for my daughter, who's put up with a poor relationship. I see it for the whole nursing profession. We only put up with what we think we deserve. Once we change ourselves, the system will change automatically. It's a quantum thing. I mean, I could show you the science, but on a quantum level, and and it's a top-down, bottom-up, inside-out thing, right? Yes, we got to do. You are part of the. Where am I? Bottom up, top down. I don't know, but whatever. You know what I'm saying? You have to have, you have to have people who help with the symptoms. We have a broken system. There are people who don't have access and there's people who are suffering. That's where you are coming in. But I also see you having a huge role because of who you are. That little kid on the playground who advocated for gay rights, who was born knowing that people deserve better. I also see you playing a fundamental role in changing the insides of people because it doesn't matter how data driven, if we use algorithms for good to give people access, if they don't think they deserve it, it doesn't matter how good your algorithms are. And to me, that's where relationships come in. And that's why I think nurses need to be a part of the conversation because I don't know about every nursing program, but we spent a lot of time talking about relationship-based care. And 
nurses understand the value of relationships. Like I said, the only reason I know about the impact of a delayed discharge is because I took the time to build a relationship with my patient. And so what I, what I believe is that technology should be used to facilitate relationship building, moving stuff offsite so that onsite relationships can be built. We put technology in the EMR so that we can surface information that can contextualize care for the provider for the purpose of relationship building. We can, we can automate some of their documentation so they're not sitting there documenting, they're doing face-to-face -face work. If it's one thing to prompt a provider to, do, to order a mammogram, we can take care of care coordination, we can even schedule the appointment for the patient, but if they don't bother to spend the time building a relationship with the patient, letting them know that they care about that person, asking them about what questions you have, educating them, uncovering, you know, cultural concerns, right? Understanding where that, what, the, what experiences have led this person to maybe not do that mammogram, that person's not going to do it. And so it doesn't matter all the supports and technologies in the world that we can provide to that person if there's no relationship built to support that, that piece of making it happen. And if down the line, if, we're, if everything's built on risk and insurance and all that stuff, if that person is sick later and they don't believe that they deserve the care because they don't, no one cares about them, they're not going to get help until they're super sick and it's super expensive. But if they're like, I'm just going to call. Or I'm just going to text pair team, right? You know what? <laughs> this is going to sound really bad, but I'm going to say it. We need to treat people more like dogs. My dogs love to go to the vet. Like, oh my God, my dog you want to go to the vet? Want to go to the vet? Why? It's because they get loved on at the vet. They get treats and they get, oh my God, you're so rude. I mean, what if we did that to people? <laughs> yeah. We need to treat people more like dogs. But I love, I love so much. I love so much that, you know, cause in the, in the operating room, that's one of the things that was frustrating was like, you'd see these surgeons and they were always struggling. Cause they always had all this other extraneous stuff to do and they couldn't just practice medicine and they couldn't develop relationships with their patients. Right. And I mean, I honestly believe that nurses and doctors and healthcare providers, they go into this because they care and they want to build mm -hmm. those relationships. And we know this is a huge problem in healthcare that doctors get and, you know, seven to 10 minutes in their primary care appointments. And so I so much love that vision of, well, it starts with the relationship. And if we can help support the relationship and support the providers to build that, then there's, then there, there's going to be engagement on the part of, of patients. And then there's, you know, and it, it just makes it, it's kind of a no brainer, Cassie, and you're brilliant for coming up with it because like, we don't have that right now. So obviously it's not a no-brainer. Yeah. We've talked about like chatbots. Because like obviously chatbots are a lot less expensive than like our care navigators chatting with people all the time. I mean, chatbots have a long way to go before I will ever say yes to a chatbot being a part of care team technology because the BS meter. Yeah. Really yeah. good. Cool. For for these folks that we chat with, um, I mean, we ha even have some of them being like, "You don't work for the clinic because I've talked to the people at the clinic, and you're way nicer than them." <laughs> and I'm like, "I'll tell the care nurse, don't tell them. Just say I'm new at the clinic. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm new." 
don't tell them that we're a pair team. You can just provide a really good experience and it'll make the clinic look really good. Don't say anything else. <laughs> I've had a couple of minutes where I just got a little bit like, just you're you're I just can see you on the playground I can see like that's the the story that you told is just so cool to see every evolution of Cassie and I'm just so I'm so touched by the impact piece we really we I mean we talk about all kinds of things but I just love the way that oh that's the title I know just it's amazing that's the title for our podcast impact yeah yeah I think that the next evolution is like helping nurses find their their way of building relationships or impact. Or I talked to a nurse who she had tried to explore different ways of, you know, finding organizations or different units. She went from, you know, LVAD to endoscopy to PACI to all these different things. She's like, some it's just not fitting. Something's not right. And so now she's exploring design, like UI design. And She's like, I just feel like an imposter. Why will they pick me over something else? And sometimes you just need to hear from someone else, like an advocate, like you belong here. Like you, like I would choose you over someone else who thinks that they know the answer. Like you've been in it, you've lived it. You know better than anyone else how to design this solution, right? And to to embrace, to teach people I just saw this. This is the first, I love when this happens. It's like the first time I have this thought. Embrace imposter syndrome. Yep. Of course you're an imposter because you're comparing who you are to how it's always been done, but you're going to do it in a completely new way. You're an imposter on the old way. Isn't that beautiful? You're going to- There's, like, <laughs> there's two things, right? Like for when I talk to founders, I'm like, if it's been done before, you shouldn't be doing it. So of course you feel like this, right? But also- for when I'm talking to nurses who are like, I don't know, I'm stepping into a new world. I'm like, is this kind of how you felt when you were like a brand new nurse? Like, had you ever done it before? Remember what it felt like when you had to go take your first manual blood pressure? Weren't you like shitting bricks? Like, <laughs> what if you screwed up? Like, and then now you just like take a blood pressure blind and you could do it while you're like chewing gum and like talk having a conversation. You don't even know how you can hear it, but you just do it, right? It's always scary the first time. And then you just know that it's the right place to be. Yep. Yep. That's amazing. Cassie Choi. That was amazeballs. Yeah. You're amazeballs. You're amazeballs. Happy to have your humanness on the earth and making things move forward. Thanks for for having me here. Well, tell us about uh, if people who hear this, a nurse or anyone wants to have you on their podcast or have you on an interview, you know, call you up and tell you how wonderful you are or say, can you hire me? I want to work for you or yeah. ask you for mentoring or questions? How would they get a hold of you? All of the above. I'm at Cassie at PearTeam.com. C-A-S-S-I-E at Pear, like a pair of shoes, team.com. Or find me on LinkedIn. All of the above. Well, thank you, Cassie. No problem. Thanks for having me, guys. Renegades.